Hey everyone, welcome to Brown Breakdown. I'm your host, Apoorva Gandetti. Every episode, I get to sit down with South Asian artists of all types at all different levels of their careers to understand the tools necessary to build a life as an artist. We'll be talking about everything from turning a hobby into a career, obstacles along the way, breaking tired stereotypes, and changing the media landscape to be more inclusive. Okay, my guest today, my guest today is Karan Sunil. Karan is an Indian American writer, director, and back-to-back TSA random check recipient. He is currently developing a pilot with the Tannenbaum Company and Lionsgate. He's also worked on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, NBC, and an unannounced Alana Glazer project as a writer's assistant, and on the Doom Patrol, HBO Max, and Redline, CBS as a writer's PA. He is a 2020 Film Independent Project Involved Writing Fellow, as well as wrote and directed the award-winning web series Code Switched. Having immigrated from India as a child, Karan has been on a journey to use filmmaking to reflect the humor and pain that comes from a constant state of in-between. He is a graduate of DePaul University with a BA in digital cinema and television writing. He's also unofficially been declared the next Issa Rae. And I mean, you'll see why. Oh, it's not going to record. Oh, it's recording. Nice. Okay. There we Hi, go. Karen. Hey, Apoorva. Welcome to Brown Breakdown. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I watched Code Switched in the fall right when it came out. Um, a bunch of like friends from Second City were posting about it. And then I was like, what is going on? What is this? I had the most jarring experience seeing the trailer for it because I was like, why are there all these people that look like me? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, and then actually recently I was on a webinar with uh, the South Asians and Entertainment Group. Uh-huh. And Pervesh China was talking about it and your name came up and he was like, I don't know if you guys know who Karan Sunil is, but he's the next Donald Glover slash Issa Rae. Oh my God. That is such, that's such high praise. Pervesh is a sweetheart. Yeah. He's really actually um, somebody that played a, a pivotal role for me in not just in Code Switch, but without him even knowing it, me watching him when I was younger actually did have um, a role in, in, in me going upon the journey. And I got to share that with him when I met him, which was special. But he's, that's, that's sweet of him. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you ever watch Outsourced? Yeah, yeah. So Outsourced was, I think, the first time I saw multiple South Asians on the screen in, in the U.S. And I remember Parvesh's character, particularly Gupta is the character's name. And, and I, my parents were into it because I think they were just super happy to see you know, ourselves. And also I'm an immigrant. I lived in India till I was nine. My family and I moved to the US. So there was a sense of familiarity from seeing India in there. But of course, I was much more paying attention to just the the spectacle, the marvel of seeing multiple brown people. I wasn't processing that the that show isn't what I would put South Asian representation portrayed as. And, and to no fault of any of the South Asian folks involved. I mean, you know, they were cast at a time when you never even got that role. Like that role was way better than like the terrorist role or, you know, and, and uh, I got to talk to Parvesh a little bit about his journey into taking that. And I really feel that so many uh, rising, already emerged working South Asian artists have benefited from people like Parvesh, who uh, had to do it at a time when there was much fewer of us, much worse opportunities, and still got on screen. I mean, he got on screen and that mattered. And so I think 
I, I, I don't think any of us would really be able to have the conversations we have without those pivotal, you know, works that we challenge and we try to do better. I totally agree. I remember on the call, he was talking about how he wished he was, you know, in his 20s now and the kind of roles he would be able to play. And I said to him, I was like, but we wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. You know, right. they really set that tone and outsource did come up and he said, you know, like maybe it wouldn't be something I did now, but at the time it was a great opportunity. And yeah, looking back at it, like there's definitely things that we probably wouldn't put, you know, we wouldn't write ourselves anymore, but you know, those are out there and we learn from them and then we get awesome stuff like code switched. Uh, Yeah. I'm a big believer in building upon that. And I do think it's easy to criticize a show like that and be like, Oh, why did these people do that? But you know, you go from, you know, Parvish was on at second city. He was performing in Chicago. You go from performing, your craft that you love to like being a regular, that money is amazing. And that exposure is amazing. Like it's so much easier to look at it and be like, Oh, you know, we can do better than that. But when you're in that position, when no one is giving an Indian person a shot at a character, that's not literally like, for example, a terrorist or someone that is being antagonized, a character that is meant to be humorous with that opportunity, more people will take that than not. I would have, I would have, you know, if I was him. And so, but I, yeah, I agree with something to build upon. And, and uh, I think, if anything, it told us that we need to have people like us in the room writing those stories, not just on screen. I think that's important. But, you know, if it's us getting to tell our stories, of course, knowing that it's not perfect, like we have to work with studios and in the industry and things, if, if we're talking about uh, working in that context, uh, you know, we're going to have to make sacrifices. But when we're actually making those decisions and we're behind the screen, I think it matters a lot. Absolutely. And I have lots of questions for you about that too, in terms of your line of work now, but I'd love to just hear about you. So you said you moved to the US when you were nine. Mm-hmm. So when do you feel like you realized that you were interested in filmmaking? You know, I always uh, had a passion for film and TV. Uh, I wouldn't say filmmaking. Mm-hmm. My dad, both my parents, but particularly my dad, was an avid TV watcher. And when we were in India, I was in Bangalore, and he would watch American television nonstop. And that was what was my looking glass into what America was. And I, it was also a, a way to spend time with my family. And so when we moved to the U.S., we moved to Seattle, you know, and it became uh, my reality uh, of, of living in the U.S. and seeing what that representation showed. I just kept watching movies and shows and tried to uh, try to really use them to assimilate, like use them as like a guide, as a map to be like, all right, what's ha- what's going on on screen that I can use to try to fit in or be accepted or, you know, because I, I did have an accent and, you know, my name sounded like a girl's name. Most people back then called me Karen. Right. And so it's like I didn't have what I think was the perspective on on how to fit in. And I think even just that act in itself is so flawed, but at the time it felt like the only thing I could do. So film and TV always played a role in my life, but I would say I fell in love with filmmaking only later. I was in in high school. I loved TV. I was super interested. I read scripts online. I did deep dives on stories that I watched that I really loved. And uh, I remember Arrested Development was a show that I watched for the first time and fell in love with it. And then just like how it showed a family and, and how it broke form. And it was just something that really spoke to me. And I was obsessed with that show. And I just didn't have the skills or the confidence to pursue it. But I did pursue a different creative field. I was, I actually wanted to be a painter almost all my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's what I spent all my time doing outside of school was just painting. And, and I was horrible at school. I had horrible grades. I was bad at math and science. 
I grew up in a really tech, you know, really privileged South Asian environment where all the South Asian folks I grew up around were millionaires because they worked for Microsoft and Amazon. And so it was, it was one thing to be like, you should pursue tech and medicine and stuff. But it was another thing when those aunties and uncles have like six cars, you know, and you're like, yeah, I should do that. And so, yeah. So um, lifestyle appealing. Exactly. But, but I was never wired that way. I was always a, um, an artist. And so I, I was just painting and drawing. I, that's all I did in my garage all day, every day. And so I pursued a degree in, in uh, I went to art school in Chicago. I moved out of Seattle because I felt uh, I didn't quite fit in. And I went to Chicago because I wanted to go to a city that was truly an American city and also a city that was much more where I would be exposed to a lot more. And so I went there to art school and I fell out of love of painting in art school, actually, because I had this really, I just had this like reckoning where I realized that painting was my escape. It was my, my thing that wasn't math and science that I did, that I was good at that I got to just be in isolation and, and, and be away. But when it became my present, when it became my premise, I realized that I wasn't actually enjoying it and that the isolating solo part of it was actually something I really disliked. I really liked working with people. So I quit art school and I decided I took a leap and fell and I feel like there's not much lower to fall. So let me just take another risk. And so I pursued filmmaking. You know, I had that passion, but I said, let me get that confidence and get those skills. So I um, went to, to film school in Chicago. That's, that's, I think, the beginning of the journey for filmmaking for me. Wow. Okay. So were you at DePaul for painting or and switch majors or did you change schools completely? I changed school. So I went to school, the Art Institute, of Chicago for okay. painting and I switched schools to DePaul for film school and I went there because of two reasons one was I fell in love with Chicago while I fell out of love of painting and I wanted to stay there and I figured you know DePaul I took a couple classes in the summer to try it out and they had a really young program I mean I think it was seven years old at the time when I joined and I actually wanted to go to a place that hadn't figured it out yet because I felt like they do let me do what I wanted to do and they would be less rigid. And I had friends of mine, no shade at all to the USC's and the NYU's, but I had friends mm. of mine who had to spend a lot of time before they got to just like try shit out with cameras and, and, and try productions. Whereas DePaul, they threw you right in. Yeah. So did you spend a lot of your time in film school working on people's sets or did you also have experience? Did you have assignments that were like, okay, here's your, here's the script that you have to write. What were those assignments like? Yeah, I was mostly working on other people's stuff. I mean, I was mm -hmm. trying to get acclimated socially and try to meet the other filmmakers. And I, to me, film school is the only thing you're really getting out of film school is, is the other people you meet. Otherwise, there isn't a single thing I learned in film school I couldn't have learned from a book or, or the internet. And, and so I was, you know, just taking classes that were mostly like theory classes on film that honestly, you know, you don't need a college class for. Like you could learn it on, on YouTube. There's so many great, like I, 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 had, I had full classes I took where I learned about things like cinematography and history of cinematography that there are actual like YouTube videos out there. I could have just spent a day watching and been as, as informed. Yeah. My entire film degree was all film theory. So I'm like, yeah, yep. I definitely could have learned that online and not yeah. as much as we did for our degrees. Exactly. Right. And in that yeah. way, it's a total ripoff, but I think that it's, it's really about uh, meeting other filmmakers. And, and so I was in that vein because I'd missed a year because I was in art school. I felt like I had to play, play catch up. So 
I was saying yes to everybody, you know, hey, this person has a shoot this weekend, this person's doing their thesis, oh, they need this. So I just did all of it and uh, production wise and just tried my hand at all the positions pretty much and accrued favors and accrued relationships. Uh, but I wasn't really making my own stuff. I was writing, DePaul had more of a focus on production. I think there were a lot more people I knew that wanted to be in production rather than writing. And, you know, the truth is like most film schools and like the industry, it was very white. Mm. And so if you're looking at who's getting the most access, who has the relationships with the people that have the, you know, equipment and the time and the things, I wasn't part of that, you know? So I had some friends who were, I had some really dear friends I met there that I, I still collaborate with, that I worked with on Code Switch. But there was a disconnect. And I, when I wrote Code Switch, I wasn't getting the support I wanted to have for it. Like I wasn't getting notes from people. I think because I wrote this like friendship show when everybody was like, you need to make some auteur shit. Like you need to make something like film, you know? And I was like- Avant-garde. Yeah, and, and I love yeah. that. And I wanted to learn, and I, I really did learn all that, but I was like, I don't want to make that because I have this opportunity to make something. Let me make what I never had. Cause I had auteur shit growing up. I watched all of that, you know, but I didn't have a friendship show with South Asia. At the end of my time at DePaul, I, I had written Code Switched as just a, a little web series pilot episode. I idea in one of my classes and then uh, I wasn't quite getting the support so I decided to like abandon looking for institutional support for it and just go full indie on it but it's also I, I have to say it was very important that at the same time while I was doing all of that I immersed myself in the comedy community I wasn't a performer I wasn't an improviser stand-up but I was working at IO at, on their digital team doing like their digital sketches and stuff and so I was meeting so many talented performers in the community. And while I was noticing the bottlenecks in the infrastructure at film school, I was noticing the bottlenecks of the infrastructure at these theaters where- At IO, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right? You, you absolutely know even better than me, like performers of color whose humor was coming from finding light in the pain of being them was not getting the stage time that you know, whoever wants to be Tina Fey 3.0 wanted to be, or, you know, or Steve Carell 3.0, that's what everybody wanted to do. So I was like much more interested in whenever I would go to shows and I would see these performers of color, like performing like a brilliant sketch based on growing up that didn't get quite, you know, the buzz it should have gotten. And I was like, let me, let me work with this group of people to bring forth these stories. So Kutsuch was really a marriage of the comedy community in Chicago and the film community in Chicago put together. That's, I think that was the genesis of it. I mean, there's elements of Code Switch that I was like, this to me reads like a love letter to the Chicago comedy community, especially when you had that montage of like Max Thomas and a bunch of other stand-ups doing their, you know, just a little bit of their set and just found a way to organically put that into the show. I was just like, oh my God, I feel like I am watching my, like different version of my life on screen. That's, I, I, that's so, I'm so glad that you felt that. And even like there was one shot when you had, um, I think it was Rahul at the Sedgwick Brown Line station. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, I, cause I watched it during quarantine. I was like, oh my God, I have not been to that train stop in months. And I was used to be there every other day. Right. When you go commute to, to Second City or, yeah. yeah, it was just always. And that was the thing that I, I really, I cherished those moments on the CTA. I miss it so much. Now I live in LA. I miss it so much because it was not just a time mm -hmm. for me to catch up on reading and things, but I actually really observed the world a little bit and observed people and 
it felt like I was in motion, even in a much more than I think I am here. And yeah, it 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 are the those are those iconic places to to my experience in Chicago. It was like being drunk at the Sedgwick stop. That was like a thing, yeah. you know. And I think it is part of the fabric of of that city, but also it it points towards one facet of Chicago. And like how North Chicago, where the Sedgwick stop is and all that, is super different from the West Side, super different from the South. To understand Chicago, you have to see all these different parts of the fabric. You mentioned that you started writing Code Switch while you were still in school. What did that early stage of the process look like? Because I saw that you used focus groups, right, to Mm -hmm. develop the script. So why did you decide to go the route of focus groups to like create this show rather than only pulling from your own experience? So, you know, my goal was to create an ensemble show, which was more reflective of the fact that I was always in groups, but also because the representation we had seen at the time, uh, Master of None had just come out. Uh, Mindy project was out was mostly solo perspectives. So I wanted to show a group. And part of that meant also showing a spectrum and a diversity within that group. And that like South Asians, oftentimes, a lot of times it it can be seen as Indian or Hindu or, you know, uh, whereas like, there's so many other aspects of South Asian diaspora that are there. I mean, billions of people are, are represented in that. So for me, I felt like it was important to go talk to focus groups and talk to other South Asian Americans because my perspective, A, there, there isn't a character on the show that's just me. Uh, it's, it's more like parts of me spread uh, amongst these characters. But I felt like as somebody that was, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a religious home, but I, I grew up Hindu, you know, straight Indian male. I I can't just speak to the experience of being South Asian in that same way. I wanted to go talk to people who had a completely different perspective and and uh, who, you know, even growing up like Pakistani Muslim woman in Chicago is so different from growing up like someone like myself. So I wanted to go and actually hear those perspectives and, and see what are the patterns between them two. Like if I get a bunch of people who are you know going to school in Chicago and are from the either from the city or from the suburbs what are the things that seem to be in common and what are the things that are really different between us and so I went and I, I met with uh, several focus groups of, of uh, South Asian Americans between like 18 and 27 and I just spoke to them I uh, heard what really made them laugh and cry and made them think and what what was the what was weighing on them more often than not and, and I think that really ended up helping the show because it it's just more truthful. What were some of those common themes that came up in the different groups that then made their way into the show? Yeah, I mean, so some of the common themes that were that feeling of pressure, which is very much known, but it's not just the pressure of like, oh, my parents want me to be something. Rather, what was really interesting is the guilt, the self-guilt that comes from wanting to do the things you want to do. Because it's one thing if you're told to do something, it's another thing to kind of look at what are the stakes and the consequences of being you. And the fact that, uh, you know, my parents worked their asses off to get me to the US. And so anything I do for me feels like it's under a microscope of that, those decisions. And I noticed that a lot of the people I talked to, the ones who parents were either, uh, vast majority of the people's parents were not born here. I think that can be said about a lot of South Asian Americans is, is that their parents' generation is usually the immigrant generation. There was this feel that they actually thought about the their legacy. They thought about their family. They thought about that journey, oftentimes in things that might be completely disconnected from it. You know, 
And uh, that was such a fascinating phenomenon to me because I think it's very immigrant. It's not just South Asian, it's very immigrant to think about what came before you and to feel guilt, to feel a sense of obligation to that and and things. So that's what, what was really fascinating to me too. And then the other thing was seeing how so many wanted all of the things. What I noticed was like when I spoke to different South Asian Americans, that regardless of their background, they all wanted all the things. They wanted to like kill at work. They wanted to be the best at work. They wanted to have great friends, like really like the friends that you rely on. And they wanted their family to love them. And they wanted to like be, have a close relationship with their parents. And so those are like all the facets of life that you'd want. And I, I thought that was much more interesting of a journey than oh, my parents don't accept me or, oh, I want to be white, you know? And I think that was what I'd seen more often is this pursuit of whiteness that a lot of South Asian Americans have. And we see it every day, but I was less interested in creating characters that were chasing whiteness and more characters that were actually did care and curate parts of their culture and did care. I mean, some more than others and some parts of their culture more than other, but were, I just want to have all the things. And so that's, that's, I think what these characters are built on. And that really comes through because, and it, this kind of goes back to what we were saying about those earlier shows had to exist because what code switch, the tone really reminded me of something more like Shit's Creek where right. the characters are able to just exist as they are. And we don't have to see this journey of like, one of the main characters in Code Switch, like rejecting their Indianness, like it's just, or their Pakistaniness or whatever it is, like right. it's just a part of who they are and it informs how they live, but it's not something that they have to talk about. Like when they go to that big party, they're not like, oh man, like everyone there is going to be brown and all of this, right? whatever. Like there's different things that they're worried about going to this party. For me as the viewer, I was like, cool, we can skip that step. We can acknowledge that we're all brown and we're fine with it. And just like talk about the other things in our life. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think it goes to the fact that we shouldn't qualify ourselves on screen. We're already on the screen. Let's, let's see why and what, and what we're trying to pursue and chase. And that dinner party scene was just like, I don't want to get judged, but also like, uh, you know, it's probably better if I show up because I don't want to fight this fight, you know? And, and then when you're there, you're like, yeah, I'll get the free food. Okay. I'll talk to the uncle with the bad back. That's much more of that journey rather than like, oh, I don't want to be around all these brown people. It's more like, uh, I know what this comes with. And the other thing that I was curious about with the focus groups was I really liked that you followed the journey of like each character with their parents. Like it was there, it was definitely about their friendship with each other. But I also felt, especially with like Priya's character, that there was a close attention to her relationship with her mom. So was that something that also came up a lot in the focus groups? They, they wanted to see these more nuanced parent-child relationships? Yeah, I think what came up in those groups was that a lot of those folks had a close relationship with their parents and closeness for better or for worse. I think that comes with the warts and it comes with the joy. But a lot of them felt a real love for their parents, but also a wanting to make their lives better. Because a lot of times, because yes. you know what I noticed was a big difference between Seattle and Chicago when I held these focus groups was that in Seattle, most of my friends' parents were college educated or working at a white collar job. In Chicago, most of my friends who are South Asian parents were blue collar. And I think because of that, you know, like I have two roommates whose one's dad was a police officer. And the, you know, and the other worked at, before had worked at a, at a toll booth. And it's like both of them were pursuing, one was per pursuing uh, computer science and the other was pursuing finance. And so for them, a lot of their drive was 
hey, I made it into this certain echelon of socioeconomic pursuit. My parents didn't get the chance. So part of that comes with a lot of, I want to make it better for them. I want to make their life easier. I want to make them better. And that comes with that closeness. I think I just noticed a lot of the people I spoke to had a relationship with their parents that evoked something palpable from them. But I also wanted to take a chance to show immigrant parents that we empathize with. Because all the parents in the show, I purposely wanted them to be characters that we understood why they were the way they were. And they weren't caricatures. Some of them had accents, for sure. And some of them carried a worldview from where they came, because that's just true. Most of our parents are still in, ingrained in a lot of what they grew up in, and as we would be if we were in their position. So for me, it was more like, how can I show parents that had their own identity too? And let's contrast and compare them with the, with the kids. And I think with Priya, you mentioned Priya. For her, her mom is divorced, uh, and she grew up a lot of her life single parent home. You know, it's not just taboo in South Asian culture to talk about divorce and, and to get divorced, especially as a woman. When a woman gets divorced, it's almost always put in a certain light of like, what did she do wrong versus when a man divorces, it's much different. And mm -hmm. and I think like I wanted to show these two women and Priya being like, part of why I work hard is because I want to take care of you. And I think that comes to, to fruition at the end because she understands that her mom had a different set of cards. I think that's so beautiful. And especially... The idea that like as immigrant kids, we're trying to protect our parents in some way. And mm -hmm. so we hide certain parts of, you know, information about ourselves, not because not because we're trying to lie, but just because like, you know, it's just like we're just trying to make their lives easier. And I really liked when, you know, you showed how we also make mistakes, our generation with our parents and making assumptions about them. And I've, I've, had, I've done that before. I like recently had a situation where I had to tell my parents about something and I just assumed the worst. And then when we had the conversation, it was, they exceeded my expectations. Right. And that came up in, you know, in the episode with Rahul. And I was just like, that is so poignant and it's so important to like realize how we are also continuing that cycle totally and that's amazing that you had that moment and of, of reflection and seeing that because yeah. i think it is a lot of what's built in us right because it's part of being first second generation is that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves like we get pressure but we put pressure on ourselves we create our own pressure oftentimes and so i think when we do that part of it is judging others the ones that we think are judging us and i think that's comes into play. And I've had those moments too with my, my parents, similar to what you said, they exceeded expectations. It's interesting to see the roles reverse actually, because like the idea of hiding things, right? Like when it goes from parents, like quickly changing the channel at a Cialis commercial to like later when you're an adult, you're hiding things from them because you know it's better <laughs> they not know certain things because it will genuinely ruin their month, you know? And so I think that's the that that's been interesting. I, my parents said a lot of things for me as a kid. And then later when I grow up now, I'm like, let me not talk to you about some of the effects of capitalism we've all perpetuated in our immigration, you know, because I don't want you to feel oh bad God. that you worked hard. Yeah. But but then there are the things that we shouldn't hide, right? Like if we're talking about race, we're talking about how we as brown people can show up for other people. Those are the things that are absolutely uncomfortable to talk with because uh, it can be met with hostility. But those are the conversations we need to have. Absolutely. And on the on that topic as well, one thing that I wanted to ask you about was, 
there's a lot of different like social commentary that comes up organically throughout the series, especially, you know, there's a there's a tension to anti-blackness in the brown community in the scene when one one of the characters, a passerby uses the N-word. And I was curious to know in your process when you're writing, do you allow those moments to come up organically as you're writing the plot and just see where those moments can fit in? Or do you go in knowing like, okay, in episode two, I want to address anti-blackness in the brown community. And in episode four, I want to address this. For me, it was important. Before I set forth on writing the season, it was important. I had certain themes, I had things I wanted to tackle. And one of them was anti-blackness in the South Asian community. And that included how I had seen so many, and much more often than not men, brown men using the the N-word, casually, especially amongst other brown friends, you know, and, and there's so many interesting observations about why and how, and, you know, so much of it is from what kind of cultures we appropriate, what kind of things that uh, identities we assume. And, you know, I grew up with a lot of brown, like Indian kids that listened to Lil Wayne and watched a lot of basketball, and it felt like it gave them the license to just act like they earn the part of the Black experience without doing any of the work, without having had mm-hmm. that history, without having to go through that. So I looked at that, and I was like, I want to talk about it in the show. But rather than being like, all right, episode two, we're going to talk about it. I wanted to think about what character could we learn from in this conversation? When I was looking at the story the way I wanted to tell it, I didn't want to shoehorn it. That was important is that, okay, it doesn't quite fit in the narrative. Let me just put it there. It was rather me being like, okay, I know here, I know I want uh, Joe and Krish's character to be there in this conversation. And um, I wanted it to be with, you know, Jordan and, and Devin, their friends. And I wanted this like, really lame Naperville brown boy character to be the one that initiates it. And I figured I'd put it in the episode where we get to explore Joe observing the world around him a little bit more. And that was the episode where Joe felt like, you know, later in the episode, we kind of see him play basketball with his friends, have a conversation with his dad. I felt like opening that episode about observing the world around you felt like the right one to put a conversation like that that is really based upon us assessing our place in the world around us and also what we can't do. That's where it, it fit. And I think I also moved some stuff to accommodate it because it was important to me to make it feel organic. So I did rewrite some of the season two to, to make it fit rather than shoehorn. That's great. I That's something I think is such an important skill to be able to weave those moments in organically. And there's just so many of that that I was like, I'm just so curious to know what your writing process is like. So that's really helpful to know for me and anyone else who's a writer. But going back to the characters and the focus group, when you were looking for your cast, did you know like, okay, I want... Want a, a Pakistani Muslim beautiful girl to play Zara, and then I also want like this Christian Indian person in the show. Or did you allow the people that you found to inform the characters and what their background was? Yeah, I wanted to find a Muslim, ideally Pakistani Muslim character in Zara. I wanted to find an Indian male in, in Rahul. I wanted to find an Indian woman in, in, in Priya. And I definitely wanted to find a Christian Indian in Joe. Uh, and Krish, was, I wanted to find somebody uh, North Indian. And so I felt like that was my intention. And when I went out to find the cast, it, it worked that way. I mean, it, it worked especially well, I think, because it wasn't just that I found a Muslim woman. I found uh, Sabine Plazar is Pakistani and Muslim. So it did fit. And, it, and that authenticity mattered but i was going in trying to find folks that fit that and and you know i went in knowing that i might land in a place where i f- might not find a pakistani woman i find a muslim woman but i i wouldn't for me 
I was not willing to cast that role with somebody that wasn't either Pakistani or Muslim because mm-hmm. I felt like it is a part of the role. And I would just keep looking because it's never a matter of lack of people. It's a matter of method. And so I felt like I'll just, if I'm not finding that person, that means I'm doing something wrong or I need to be doing something more. And casting was a real joy in this show, but it was also a long process. I mean, I, we actually never did formal casting for any of the South Asian roles in the show. The lead characters I went and scouted, I just went to comedy shows throughout Chicago, not just Second City IO, you know, annoyance. I was like going to like open mics and hole in the wall shows and just shows at bars and stuff to find these people. And a couple of them were recommended to me too. Yeah, my friend Sam Bowers recommended Sarab, who I ended up um, casting for Rahul. From that and all the other roles, your Max Thomases, Asia Martins, you know, all of them, I created the role around them. I, I know I wanted Max. I know I wanted Asia. And I, I built the role around, around them. And that for me was more fun. And also it allowed them to bring themselves to the screen in a way that I felt because they themselves are already so fun to watch and they're so brilliant. And also it makes it less competitive. It makes, that was the other thing was like it, the whole point of Coach was to like fight competitiveness is to not make mm-hmm. us, it's to celebrate us as a community. And part of that means I don't want people auditioning for Zara. I want to build the role around Sabine. I want to build the role around Max. A lot of that credit goes to them because they stepped into that. It's a lot easier to create a role around somebody super talented and, and, and kind. Yeah, they're fantastic. So once you found them, how did you allow their you know, unique personality to enhance the characters that you had already written? Did you present them with the script that you already had and say like, hey, give me your thoughts? It was a lot of uh, talking, a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue with them. It was sitting down with them and saying, this is the character I want to show. Let's talk about this character. And then if there were certain things that they felt strongly or had great observations about, I wanted to incorporate it and and also see what fit. For example, actually, I was going to cast Sarab, who ended up in Rahul, as Krish originally and vice versa. But when I met and I sat and worked with Vic and I sat and worked with Sarab, I realized they were better suited for the other role. No doubt they were both versatile enough to do the other. You know, Sarab's role is a lot more dry and wry and sarcastic and Vic's is a lot, a little bit more verbose and kind of douchey. And uh, I, I think both those dudes could have done that, but I think it just fit a little more of their natural inclinations. So that was from dialogue and, and talking to them. And then like, for example, like Sabine and, and, and Sonal, who plays Priya, like I think a lot of Priya's disposition worldview and stuff was talking to her about her opinions on certain things about being an Indian woman and, and being one in the city. It also helped a lot that these performers were all just really interesting people that had really interesting life experiences. Like Sonal's lived like five, six lives. You know, she's done many different professions, but she's also lived in different countries and she's done, she's brings so much to her essence. And for me, I felt like when that's there, you trust that. You trust that she's going to bring something dynamic. And so a lot of that was discovered through conversation. It's almost like the focus groups helped me build the molds for these characters. And then we mm-hmm. together, me and performers, sculpted the role after the person. And, that and we a were- beautiful analogy. I, it is, it, I, it's a little artsy and pretentious, but it is, I think, the way it worked because it meant cutting things. It meant there were a couple of things I wanted to do with those original characters, we cut because it didn't fit or, or it wasn't of interest to them. They made sacrifice too. It wasn't just what they wanted to do all the time. They were like, yeah, actually, you know what? I Karen really wants to talk about this one thing. I feel it's important too. Might not be my favorite thing about the character, but let's do it. So there was that 
working together aspect. How long did that process take from when you first thought of the idea and went about, you know, talking to these focus groups to getting to that final draft? A long time. I mean, I, this show has taken about three years to make, but in that early stage, I had talked to the focus groups. I had written the first episode, sort of, and I went and cast it. No money. And then I had to kind of, once I cast the leads, I was like, I'll come back with the money. And I was broke. I was working at the time at Whole Foods uh, as a juicer. And I was not going to be able to shoot this web series. So I went back to Seattle and I went Girl Scout cookie style to a bunch of rich Indian people that grew up in the same area I grew up in and asked, you know, I pitched them the show, I had the budget, everything. And was like, I got a lot of no's, like uh, to the point where it was quite damaging to my like confidence and also my idea of like, wait, what were... What's the difference between me coming to you with this idea and you getting pitched a startup every day? You know, it's true. So yeah. The only difference is that uh, you're not getting points in the back end. You know, so, and also you you haven't you can't quite see it feel it in the way that you normally do. So, but a, a couple had uh, had said yes and gave us a little bit of a seed uh, money to go shoot a fake trailer. Uh, not even a pilot episode. It wasn't enough money to shoot a pilot. We shot a fake trailer uh, and some. Some pilot, not all the pilot, but some stuff. And then we we launched a crowdfunding campaign because I knew I needed more money to actually shoot a season. And I didn't want to make a guerrilla style web series, even though we definitely were like, you know, like militia out there. We getting this thing done, squeezing every penny. I didn't want to make it low budget. Uh, I wanted to make it a real production. And, and so that was, I was adamant about that. I, was, I would rather not make it not you know i'd rather just spend another year finding the money than than not so we we went through that so then i think after going through that it had almost elapsed a year i i wrote the rest of the season after the crowdfunding campaign uh, towards the very end of the campaign it was december 2017 i went back to india uh, i was in staying with my grandmother in kerala and i barely had internet while the money was coming in and i just kind of got a little bit of an escape and i i wrote the season but it went through a lot of adjustments and there was never a point I locked the script truly. Uh, we were, I was rewriting and editing because like I said, squeezing every penny, we cut scenes, a lot of scenes. And so I think we went all the way until we started shooting and we shot over several windows in 2018. It wasn't just like one month. We shot over five shooting windows and over a year. The real sticklers can watch the web series and point out seasonal differences <laughs> and so because we shot in november we shot in february we shot in april we shot you know but we got it done and and i think it, it took a while i would say definitely over a year wow wow okay that's that's amazing and what was the production timeline like where did you do all of the scheduling and all of that yourself or did you bring people on to do that like logistical work so that you could focus on the creative so code search absolutely would not be possible or look the way it does or feel the way it does without this creative team. So I wrote and directed all the episodes, but David Hughes, uh, my cinematographer and producer, and Michael Ray, my editor and producer, and, and a couple other like key hands, like my friend Danny Farber, who is our UPM, like all super talented people I'd worked with freelance in the production business and just fit the two boxes, which was trust them, would be in a room with them for 11 hours straight and be super talented. And A being the more important one, to be honest. And then we also got a ton of support from orgs. Like the two biggest orgs we got support from was OTV, Open Television in Chicago, Full Spectrum Features in Chicago, both nonprofits 
aimed at supporting uh, marginalized artists and uh, they support us in different ways not as much in like finance full spectrum gave us they they were our fiscal sponsor so we were able to use that 501c status to get you know donations from restaurants and stuff because they were able to write it off and and then uh, otv connected us with a lot of great artists and people and, and folks and so it was really a community like we really sat together in these big meetings with everybody and you're like all right we need to do this oh we need to shoot in a garage Oh, my friend's uh, neighbor actually has this garage that, you know, that we could go shoot. So like it was all of that and it became very indie. Yeah, I was going to say there are so many different locations in the show as I was watching it, because I was actually making a web series over the past year and I was and oh, nice. location scouting was one of my like. Oh, it's tough. Yeah, I we wrote scenes so that we wouldn't have to find locations. We we're like, all right, how many scenes can we put in an apartment that we can ask our friends to use? And I was my question was like, how did you go about finding locations, especially like office locations? Those stuck out to me. It's funny what sticks out to you depending on where in your life you are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, some of those like, like downtown. Yeah, 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 like the, <laughs> yeah. No, we locations are tough, and and I think that's what makes a budget. Uh, that's one of the things that makes production really expensive, especially an indie one. We had yeah. way more locations than I think an average like indie web series would because we just. Mm-hmm got it done i mean we we like hustled and got it done like the way for example the office stuff there's a website where you can rent co-working spaces kind of in in the loop and in uh river north and stuff where you're truly in the skyline in the city you know we two hours that you rent a place for an office space maybe normally you would rent it for working with a team like a co-working space or whatnot we rented it to shoot uh, a production and so but we had to be really diligent in being like two hours you're out you know, so mm. it's not the same as, uh, oh, we kind of have this location for the day. We can spend it like in those 120 minutes, you got to be in and out. A lot of the non like office stuff was through connects, me yeah. reaching out to friends being like, hey, like I saw your short film three years ago that had the scene in that thing. Do you, you know, would you mind hooking me up? And, and that that's how we got a lot of that. done. Nice. Yeah, I, we were at to look for a bookstore and oh, the prices they gave us were insane. Yeah. the I mean, the show overall, it just doesn't look like, it looks like a show. Like it looks like a network TV show and it just goes to show how your dedication to like making sure you got the funding and making sure you had the right people on your team contributed to that end product. Thank you for, for that. And I, I, I really, for especially the look, I credit David. Um, he's an yeah. incredibly talented DP and not just that. I mean, he obviously, is, he did so much with so little. We didn't have robust lighting packages and stuff throughout. We spent a lot of time before we even got into battle, just sitting and talking about every scene. And I mentioned the palettes I was going for, the looks I was going for, the mood and feeling. And we collaborated on that. And he not only brought a lot of creativity there, but because we had that infrastructure, when we showed up to a location and we didn't have the lighting package we wanted or we were under some kind of obstacle, David was like, well, I know what Karin wants. Let me go do it this way. You know, I, my hat's off to David for he is the reason it the code switch looks the way it looks. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit up David. You got to hit up David. I mean, he's, he's amazing. But it comes from the trust. You got to build your creative team first. I learned a lot in that process too. Like even from a respect perspective, like there was a lot of challenges I felt like I I went through and, and David and Michael exercised a lot of patience with me. Something I'll always, always, you know, cherish them for is, is the way that they were patient with me. Speaking of learning of the process, what was it like to 
work with some of these actors because I mean you have some powerhouses in the show like Minita Gandhi and Kareem Bandiali like what was it like to work with them as was this your first time as a director right yeah yeah so you as a first time director and them as these seasoned actors how did you approach that that was a gift it was a real gift yeah. to me because they were so so good and 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 skilled I went to each of them personally in to cast them and you know like Kareem I went I went to one of his plays and I I reached out to him and I said I'd love to talk to you and and we talked in the middle of one of his rehearsals and I pitched him on the whole thing and I'd already done my research on him and I did my research on Minita it wasn't just a look I'd seen what they'd done before and a lot of the parent roles I saw I went to readings or I went to plays where they had performed and I saw the way they did and and that's why I picked them they brought not just a grace to the production but they ended up really caring and bringing on their experience with them. Kareem shared scenes with Sabine and Sabine was, and you'd never, never be able to tell. And I really, something I, I, I credit Sabine for is she had not really done on-camera acting before Code Switch. And this is like really her first time, especially at that capacity. She stepped up. She's just very gifted, but she stepped up and Kareem playing her dad, there were many moments in on set and in production stuff where he was like passing on things he'd learned. He was like helping her. He was teaching her things from, and that's selfless of him. I mean, he, this was a small role that he was doing in the middle of performing Moby Dick at Looking Glass, such a prestigious wow. play at look at Looking Glass Theater as the lead of that play. And he like literally gave his extra small hours he had to do it. He really did not have to do the teaching part of it, but he did because he's a really good person. And, and I think he saw in Sabine somebody that wanted to learn from him. So they brought they brought that with them. They just brought their veteran presence in, in all the ways. Wow, this is like, it's just such a good lesson in what can happen when you don't push your actors into a box and like all of this nuance comes through. And I think it also speaks volumes to the community that you were able to find in Chicago and that's been building up here in terms of how dedicated people are to passing on that knowledge. That is just so amazing about this community. And I love that you celebrated that. It's a Chicago oh, thing. Wow. My mouth dropped. I don't, people can't see me. My mouth dropped when you said that Sabine didn't have on-camera experience. Yeah, Sabine, none of, I mean, none of the leads had a ton of on-camera experience before. I think Sarab and Steven probably had the most, but even then they were much more seasoned in, in stage performance than, than screen performance. And so we had to all learn that. And I learned a lot about directing comedians. I think there's a way you approach directing comedians that is different from how you approach directing people who are traditionally screen or stage actors. And I think it was a real tool I got from making code switch that I have now. I my thing is about how can we be collaborative? How can I have a vision? We're not coming in this isn't an improv show. Like we're not coming in with without a plan. We're coming in with a vision. But it's about, you know, you write it in pencil, you don't write it in pen. And 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 I think you adjust and you make those things. If someone has on set, whoever it is, you create an environment that's open where anybody can voice it while doing their job. If no matter what position gives a suggestion, that's just the better suggestion. You go with it. You you yeah. you don't go, ah, oh, but that's not my vision. You go, oh yeah, that's smart. Why that's a way better way to do this. And then you do it. I think that's the best way to be a director because but there were moments, several moments in Code Switch where like a choice was made by the actor that was better than what I asked of them. And there was moments where uh, a crew member was like, Hey, I noticed this while we were shooting the scene. What if you did this? And I was like, that's smart. 
and I went with it. I think it's the willingness to to do that. So now that Code Switch is out in the world and it's gotten this incredible reception, I mean, the pilot episode has over 100,000 views. The trailer has over 300,000 views or something like that. What do you see as the the afterlife of the original web series being? You know, it's an, I it's been I mean, it's been a roller coaster a couple months since October. It's been a real just light in my life and in all of the people who've worked on the show. It was it's been a blessing and, and just I was blown away by how uh, well received it was and embraced it was and I, I really wasn't preparing for that we just were honest and put our stories out there and people embraced it I felt it was really really special to feel like all the hard work from all the people involved was coming into fruition people were loving these characters and, and the show but yeah the journey's been great I mean the, the joy has been sharing it you know with folks like you you know we didn't know each other uh, yeah. before this and you, you saw you reached out and, and getting to share and talk about it and know more yeah. about your experience has been And I have to tell joy. you, I mean, I, I wish I could really express like the impact. I mean, I can. I can express the impact it had on me because it just showed me how much of a need there is for these stories because I think I got, I was in a place where I was like, no one wants to hear what I have to say. And the timing of, of seeing that trailer, like I was actually in the process of developing this podcast and I put mm. it aside because I was like, there's not going to be enough people to interview. And Around that time is when I saw the trailer for Code Switch and I was like, there are so many people and we just have to find each other. And it's just a, such a beautiful impact. I mean, like I I was emotional watching the last scene when the five characters come together because I was like, I can't imagine what they must have been going through and you must have been going through to be on set with like five brown people all around the same age, you getting to work with them and direct them. I was just like, that's just so, I never thought I would see that, truly. That's really that's that's really touching. Thank you for sharing that, and that I means a lot to hear that from you, getting that experience from it, and it's it's awesome to hear also like the context of that for you with the podcast. Um, thank God you made this podcast. I mean, it's, it's so great to be on here, but it, it's a it, I do think that feeling of my story doesn't matter or a lacking or I don't fit or anything like that. I think it's not even us as much as it's the system and the, the structures around us that perpetuate that. And yeah. I think it's part of us to like feel that. And I think we should feel that a little bit inside to just understand that like to, to be able to overcome it and and uh, move forward from it. But definitely, I think putting that aside and just going for it and seeing that there's so many people. I mean, since I released the show, I've spoken to so many South Asian Americans, not just Americans, like spoken to people around the world about it. That was just from who had reached out to me, but there are so many different people who reached out to the performers and all other people involved. And I think it, it just shows you there's so much left to tell. Code Switch, even though it's an ensemble South Asian American majority perspective, this show, no matter what the funding, the timing, the platform will never be able to speak to the South Asian diaspora at all. I don't think a show will or can or should but it's just a little i think it's a little stone throw and and there's so much more story to tell so many more perspectives and i'm excited because there's so many really great artists like yourself and people here in la that i've met and, and folks that will do that and there's just so many now and i think that's something that goes going back to parvesh when parvesh talked about how he wished he was 20 now you know, part of that is not just in the fact that you can make a production for cheaper than ever and you can do all of that yeah. and the internet exists. Like there's an internet for us to put code switched on. It's the fact that there's so many artists now, really interesting artists, super different and all doing different mediums. And 
I'm really excited to support. And I think that's the other thing is we were supported so greatly because we were supporting each other. We were supporting other people in the process. We have to do that. We just have to support other artists. Like anything that comes out now too, it's like, how can we support it and, and uh, give it a sense of life too? Because we all want to work together uh, yeah. and, and, and make stuff. So that's a takeaway. So thank you for sharing your um what the impact it had on you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I also just wanted to talk to you quickly about where you are and what you're doing in your career now. I was doing some snooping on IMDb and I saw that you were recently represented by CAA, which is amazing. Did they find you through Code Switch and how has that process been, like the opportunities that have come through that? Yeah, I'm very excited. I I signed with CAA two months ago and and it was a combination. They... uh, a couple had found it. A friend of mine sent it over to an agent there. So it was a combination of that, but they really loved it. And we began a conversation and dialogue about my career and things and other goals I have, because which is, is one of the things that I've done and want to do. But it's been really special. I've been working right now. I've been working on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on NBC as a writer's assistant, yeah. which I've been doing since the summer of 2020. I'm right now working on a couple other projects and trying to get a couple off the ground. And, and I... I um, um, you know, I, I, I'm working on a couple of things that, that are, have found a home and I'm excited to share that once the time comes, but I'm spending a lot of my time right now writing and just learning from within, from a lot of these shows. I've worked on a couple of shows as an assistant and I've seen how, um, a lot of the, the story gets broken and all that, but also we see the bottlenecks, you see how things can be better and done better. So it's been, it's been a lot of that. So right now, you know, just wrap, pretty much just wrapped on season two of Zoe's and getting on some new, new projects that I'll announce. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about them. Actually, my last question is, what advice do you have for up and coming creators, South Asian creators? How, what are your recommendations in terms of getting your work out there and really making a story that's true to who you are and what you want to talk about? You know, I think my biggest advice comes from the process of making Code Switch, but also what I didn't have when I was in like film school and things like what I wasn't being told. And a big part of that is to trust yourself, trust your gut and just do the thing that you want to do. I mean, like when you and I just spoke just now about doing the podcast, like it, regardless of having that little feeling that we all feel like you go for it, you know, and, and you see what mm-hmm. it, it, it creates. But I, I say the thing, the story you want to tell, regardless of you, if you think people will like it or if you think there is an audience for it. There is, you know, there, there's going to be. And as long as you're being responsible in that, in terms of what are the stories you're trying to tell. And so I, I would say go for it. And I think the other thing is to find a community doing it. Immerse yourselves in that. When you find people you, you that also have similar goals, similar dreams, similar experiences, working with them hand in hand to make something. You know, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I need to hire people. It becomes how you want to work with people because it's just more fun. It's just so much more enjoyable. And you'll actually get it done. Code Switch got done because we just brought a bunch of people together and actually worked with them. And I think doing that, so it's really hard to crew up a production. It's really hard to fundraise. It's really hard to do these things. So it's not as simple as go do it. You know, I think it's highlighting what you want to say, writing it in pencil, not pen, and Mm. finding the other people that will also add to it, enjoy it, that you can learn and do their thing, work on their projects, it, 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 work on their projects before they work on yours, you know, put yourself out there, find this, like in IO, I just, I showed up, I'm not from Chicago, I'm not a performer, but I, I just showed up to shows and I went up to somebody and said, hey, I'd like to work here. And, you know, film school, that's so you're just immersing yourself in, in the community. And I think that's like, I, I just did Project Involved, this fellowship and the greatest joy I've had from that program, which was 
a program that brings 30 filmmakers together every year to make a series of short films was I met some of the most talented, kind people I've ever met. And uh, I, I hold true to them and, and hold them with me. And I want to work with them, a lot of them for, for a lot of my career. And I think because we did it as a group, as opposed to like, you know, one by one, I think it was just so much more fun. I just want to have fun while working. I think that's the other thing too. I, I told my parents recently, if I'm not having fun, I should have been the doctor, right? I should have been mm-hmm. the... I should have done the thing, which is not to say those things are not fun. But for me, I knew it was never calling me. And I was like, if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing in this industry, this is the wrong industry to not have a good time. So I think uh, that's my advice is to do it and, and to do it with people. Thank you so much, Karin. It was so it was so much fun to talk to you and learn from you and just talk about like those experiences that inform our art and how we can share those with other people. So I'm feeling very excited and I'm so I'm so excited to just see what else you put out in the world because I'm sure it is going to continue to impact so many people. Thank you, Apoor. That's very sweet of you. Thank you for watching the show and reaching out and, and sharing this space. And, and I really appreciate being here and getting to talk about it. And I'm really excited to see more of the stuff that you're doing as well. You know, and hopefully we'll all get to do stuff together. And I think this is the thing. It's like we find each other and we want to work on things. So thanks for embodying that. And that was the Brown Breakdown. I mean, how incredible is Karin's journey? I feel so inspired after talking to him. And it's just so nice to know that there are people in our community who are out there making stuff that we're gonna see soon and that we can watch right now. Do yourself a favor today, go watch Code Switched. It's on YouTube, all five episodes and the trailer. I absolutely loved watching this show and it meant so much to me and I think it will to you too if you haven't seen it already. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope this conversation helped you in some way. And as always, if you have questions, you can reach out to me on Instagram at Brown Breakdown. See you next time.